Good morning, everybody. So glad you're here today. I'll take that one, you don't mind. Slide that over here for you, make room. Plenty of room for everybody. Thanks for being here. We are beginning a series this morning. It's a multi-week series, and it's called Resurrection Relationships. Resurrection Relationships. Now, the idea of resurrection and relationships may not naturally feel like two things you would sort of squeeze together, right? And you're like, well, wait a second. Wasn't Easter Sunday like last Sunday, right? But here's the thing about resurrection, and if we, we hold to that story as true, that Jesus died for our sins there on the cross, and that on the third day, and the scriptures tell us by the power of God, was raised from the dead as a testimony that we can have new life in Him, then this is something we need to talk about and unpack more fully and practically. How does it fit into our lives? And do you have the, the well, slide for us? There you go. Thank you. We are here talking about resurrection, and so that brings us back to Easter Sunday. He is risen, right? And He is risen indeed, yes. We continue to bathe ourselves again in this idea that He has been raised from the dead, and then practically what does that mean for us in our everyday walk? What does that mean for us in our hearts? What does that mean for us in our relationship to God as our Father? We're going to talk about that this morning. What does resurrection have to do with the health and quality of my marriage? We're going to talk about that next week, and I'm going to have a special guest who's going to join me up here. That's my wife. What does death and resurrection have to do with the health and quality of our marriage. We're going to share on that. After that, we're going to talk about friendship. What does it mean to be friends in the wake of resurrection? We're going to talk about encouragement and accountability and mission, shared mission as friends. And I've got another special guest joining me for that, my friend from Austin, Texas, who's been a dear friend of mine for years, He's going to join me up here. We're going to talk about that. We have other special events coming up for this. We have Confirmation Sunday, which will fit into Resurrection Relationship Series. All this building up to June 2, Baptism Sunday. When you talk about resurrection relationships, we're going to there, we're going to offer a Sunday of believers' baptism. Anyone who feels that call in their heart to come and be baptized, uh, we'd love to share that moment with you and have a special Sunday, June 2. So do not miss that either. Put that down in your calendar. But he is risen. He is risen indeed. Okay? So we're going to unpack this more fully, you know, and it's so telling that the Resurrection Sunday, that we celebrate resurrection at the springtime. Now, I know it doesn't feel much like spring, although I promise you this, I promise you this, and this is just me talking, by the time we walk out here today, spring is going to be back again. The snow is going to be gone. It's, I, can hear it, I can hear it melting right now, okay? But I was also sort of thankful for the snow uh, today because it gave us an opportunity to see fresh one more experience, and hopefully this is the last time, that we see that changing of the season from the coldness of winter, which we were so abundantly reminded of yesterday, to the dawning of a new season, as the flowers will reemerge again and the grass will start to poke itself back out. I was reading, there's a, a quote that it's hard to know who attributed it to, or who, who, wrote, who spoke it first, but it was the idea that God didn't just write the story of resurrection in his book, that he wrote it literally in the flowers of the field so that we can experience that hope and energy of new life bursting forth. 
out of the cold and even the dead. So resurrection, we're going to continue to focus on that over this next couple of weeks. You can imagine, of course, that the first disciples that ran to the tomb expecting to find their Lord dead there in the tomb, they had their spices, they had their oils, they had their duty. Instead, they found an empty tomb. The stone was already rolled away. You imagine that at least one of them thought in their minds, this changes everything. So we're going to unpack that over the next couple of weeks as we learn how to live out resurrection in the everyday. So we're going to do a couple of things this morning. We're going to um, talk about God as our Father, but I want to give you a framework for it. So the first half of this is going to be how do we understand resurrection, especially in our relationship to God as our Father. That's going to be our first section. But first I want to give you a preview. How do we get there? How do we get to this story? Okay. So the other thing that, that spring reminds me of, and up until the other day, we had the windows pretty wide open. Uh, it was a couple of nights ago that my kids were hot. They're on their bedrooms on the second floor. They're like, it's hot. Turn on the air conditioning, you know? And I thought, well, yeah, you know, where we used to live in Texas, like, yeah, of course you turn on the air conditioning by now. But I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll do that. I went up, and I was like, foo, went over the other side of the room, foo, right? Ah, <laughs> <sighs> that feels good. I'm like, yeah, that, that's nature's air conditioning. Yeah, that's, that's how we do it here. But windows open also, if I'm honest, kind of actually uh, have sort of a, a, a pretty dry memory for me. When, when I was a kid, I, I would spend a lot of time looking out, you know, our open window. Um, it was just something I did. I just would sit kind of in the front, and, you know, I guess I didn't have a screen to distract me all the time, so I would just spend time just looking out the front window. And honestly, I was pretty lonely as a kid. You know, I didn't grow up with a, a dad in the house, and I don't know if that's your story, maybe not. But that was one of the aches of my heart, even as a young kid. So I would, stay, I would sit by the window. This is not a picture of me, by the way. <laughs> I, I would sit and kind of, um, you know, like, oh, he's changed some. Um, I would sit and look out the window, and especially like when, uh, you know, a, a nice car would kind of venture down our neighborhood or something with a family in it. I'd have this little sort of weird fantasy in my mind that maybe that was my real family. Maybe that was the family that was going to come and like adopt me and, and, and take me. So I could be part of like a, a regular, a real family. Now, I loved my family. My mom was an awesome mom. She's passed away some. My brothers and sisters are much older than me, so they weren't in the house. Um, so, but there was just this lonely ache in my heart. Uh, then I was like, oh, I just wish a happy family would come and sort of pick me up and, you know, adopt me. You know, it was just an ache in my heart. And if I were even more honest with you this morning, that, that is an ache or a loneliness in my heart that I still feel at times. Now, you know, of course, I'm a, I'm a husband. I've got a wonderful wife. We've got more than the average number of kids uh, with five. Um, I'm a pastor now, and so I mean, I have a, the company of the, the church. But there's still, at times, there still can kind of wash over me this, this kind of loneliness or sense of disconnectedness, you know, that I can feel. And maybe, maybe some of you resonate with that today, where you kind of wait for, like, your, your real or whole family. There's something missing sometimes in our hearts, and it just feels like, oh, it, comes, it kind of comes across as a loneliness or an ache. This is in our hearts for a reason, this, this call or this, this desire for family or connection. You know, I, I think back to the very beginning of God's story, in the story of Genesis, when he made the first man for himself. And it's interesting because, he, you know, he says that he made the man in his image, and he gave him lots of work to do. He told him to, you know, tend to the garden. And then he started bringing all the animals to him and told him to name them all. Uh, so he had a lot of work to do, 
but he didn't still have something. There was still an ache in his heart to the, to the point where God, even before the fall, like this is pre-fall when everything's supposed to be perfect, right? God looks at this solo guy and he goes, hmm, that's not good. Isn't that interesting? We haven't even had the fall of, of mankind. He hasn't bitten any fruit that's wrong. He hasn't done anything wrong. And God just looks and goes, well, that's, that's not good that this, this man would be by himself. This person would be alone. Why is that? Well, that's because we're not, not made for that. We're not made to be alone. I don't think God said that to him like, oh, that's not good. Like, oh, boy, that's a mistake. No, he's resonating in his word that we are not made for that. You see, we know also in Genesis that God made us in his image. Male and female, he created them, right? And we also understand now that God exists in Trinity, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, in a community or relationship, relationship that's so deep, so entwined, they're literally one together. One. One God in three. Now you're like, okay, well, I've been scratching my head over that, trying to make sense of that. Yeah, there's a reason that that escapes us, that that is hard for us to even imagine that a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit could be distinct and yet one, unified. It's because it's, it, it's, it's beyond our capacity to really grasp a relationship so deep that they would be one. But we are made in that image. We're made for community. We're made for relationship. That's why God said, that's not good that this guy's by himself. He knew the whole time this guy was made for relationship. He was made to have community. Now, it's especially fascinating that this man was alone with God as his father. And so you can understand that they probably had a real rich relationship. But a relationship with God, friends, was never intended to live alone. He needed community. So God began to create and he made him a partner. And it wasn't long before that started to get hard. And it was only post-sin that we realized that sin separates. You have this man and his woman, right? And they break the one rule that he gave for them. And the scriptures tell us in Genesis chapter 3 that the very first impact of that sin is that they hid from one another. They, they grabbed leaves and covered from, for themselves and began to hide from each other in their shame. Sin had broken something between them. Before, they were unified, one flesh even. And then sin came along, and it seems like its very first impact was in their relationship. They couldn't look at each other. And then God comes walking to them in the cool of the day, and we presume from that language that it was to take a walk with them. Maybe it was something he did pretty often, enjoyed time with them. And they hid from him too. Because sin had impacted something in their hearts. It had separated them. It caused a division between them and their God and each other. And that's exactly what sin does. Now, maybe you're like me and you kind of grew up with this understanding of sin, kind of baseline that you do wrong things, you know. You, you, uh, you get mad or you lie or you dance, and that's bad, right? Maybe you grew up with that. I mean, when I dance, it's a sin. It's horrible. But we tend, to, we tend to think sin is this thing that we do that's bad, and then God gets mad at us. 
But I'll dare say that most of us interact with sin in our relationships. We experience the reality of sin most significantly in our relationships. Because it hurts, doesn't it? When someone you love doesn't live that covenant. It, it hurts when, when parents don't care for you know, children like, like they, they ache for. It hurts when, when siblings you know, bust apart and fracture. It hurts when marriages are in stress. It hurts when friends betray each other. It hurts when coworkers break each other and, and, and betray. It hurts. So most of us experience the reality of sin in our relationships. That's where really where it hurts the most. That's because sin separates. Sin separates. It breaks community. So God, in his ordination, his love, he establishes covenant. This is very, very simple compression of the Old Testament story. God looks at the problem of sin and he enters into it with covenant. Covenant is essentially promissory relationship, okay? I'll take care of this. I will fix this. One day, he says to Abram, your family will be like the stars in the sky. They will be abundant and they'll be unified. Watch. God enters into covenant. That's the story of the Old Testament. Jesus, we know, is the answer to that covenant. Jesus steps in to pay the price when that covenant cannot be uh, taken on its own. It's broken because we can't live out our bargain. So Jesus sends himself his son, one and only, begotten, to pay the price of that penalty so that we can be set free. And Jesus, in his ministry, death and resurrection, shares his relationship with God the Father with us. Isn't that amazing? Remember when he said that? Like, hey, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father God except by me. Now, that's not him being exclusive, like no one except by me. That's an invitation. Look, I'm the way and I'm the truth. I'm the life. If, if you want to know the love of God the Father, come through me. I'll, I'll show it to you. I will show it to you. And Jesus lays his life down so the, the, the separation of sin and the brokenness and shame washed away, and we can now enjoy a fellowship relationship with God as our Father. He shares that relationship with us. Isn't that amazing? And he shows us this most abundantly there in the resurrection. In coming out of that grave, just as he said he would, completely validates everything he was preaching before then that I'm one with the Father, and the Father is in me, and you can experience his love through me. This is what it means to have resurrection relationships. Out of the death of Christ comes new and fruitful relationships with God and by his filling with one another. With God, we get a renewed relationship in Christ and a call in our hearts to live renewed relationships with each other. Amen? Amen? Great. So when we have this, this is why our new life in Christ completely redefines our relationships. In other words, this changes everything. 
So with this in mind, we want to jump back into that text that we had read for us this morning, that John chapter 15. If you have your Bibles with you, great. If you don't, there's some in the seats. Uh, I'll put it up on the screen if you'd like. I like to feel the weight of God's Word in my hand. It just helps me know where I am in the story, and you know, it helps me kind of connect to it that way. So uh, let me pray as, as you, if you want to pull your Bibles out, or uh, let me pray that the Holy Spirit would just reveal His Word to our hearts. Father, thank You. Thank You for the gift of Your Word. Thank You for Your story. Thank You for that overwhelming story, God, that You made us, cast us in Your image for relationship. And when sin separated, we still carried that identity, that desire to have community with You and with each other and Thank you, Lord Jesus, that it's by your covenant that you sent your one and only Son to die for us, to be raised, so that we could have a new and fresh relationship with you as our Father and receive that call to love one another in a joy that will never end. Instruct us by your word. Continue to speak to us, Holy Spirit. Let us leave leave here this morning changed and renewed as we'll see outside when the snow parts, and the flowers reemerge. May we do the same. To your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. John 15, 9. Let me, let me paw through this a little slower for you so we can unpack it. And, uh, and I gave it to you in a simpler translation on the screen uh, just because I, I don't want it to get lost in kind of the, the, some of the thicker words. But what he's getting at here is how can we come to know and live out God as our Father God is our Father, which is how we began that Lord's Prayer, and we say that every week. Our Father. There's such power and presence in just those two words that we come to the God of all creation and we call to Him as Father, like Daddy, which is a gift that Jesus gave us. And we do so in community. As we say most weeks, the Lord grabbed His disciples and they said, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? We're not sure how to pray. He goes, oh, when you pray, pray this way our Father, not your Father or mine, ours together. There's a communal nature to living out our faith in God as Father. So let's see how this plays out in the Word. Jesus said to his disciples, Jesus said to his disciples, there it is, Jesus said to his disciples, just as the Father has loved me, so now, I am loving you. Let's just stop there for a second. That the love that God and Jesus share together, that bonds them as one, it's so abundant, so rich, universal, it's existed through all time, and it will exist for all time. This love that God the Father has for Jesus is present in his heart, and he says, I have loved you with that same love that the Father has loved me. How abundant is that? And he's speaking to you, and he's speaking to us. I have loved you, said Jesus, in the same way that my Father has loved me. So, remain, then, in my love. Some of the other traditions, uh, other translations might say a word like abide, okay? What that really means is like remain, abide, thrive, Flourish, park yourselves, explore my love, stay in it, okay? And why would you ever want to leave if you could understand the concept in our hearts 
that Jesus loves us in the same way that he and the Father experience their relationship. Jesus loves us, and he's saying, park yourselves, thrive in that fertile soil of my love. Who would ever want to live anywhere else if you understood that? It's amazing, amazing. And he goes on to explain, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Now, some of us who hear that might hear that conditionally. Like, oh, here it comes. Like, only if I do this right do I remain in his love. That's, that's not what he's implying here. He's saying, live, thrive in my love. And when you do what I ask you to do, when I, you do what I command, that's how you remain in my love. Like, if you want to experience that, then listen to what Jesus said and do it, and you will experience all the fullness of the love that he has for you. And again, why would you want to live any way else? Wouldn't you want to experience the love that God the Father has for Jesus flowing through you? I want to do that. Of course, what do I need to do to do that? Follow the commands? Done deal, man. I'm going to try to live for that because I want that. I want that gift. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and I remain in His love. In other words, He's living it out too. Jesus lived fully in the love of the Father by doing the, only the will of God. And he's inviting us to experience the same. This is, again, not a restriction. It's an invitation. Oh, he says, I want you to experience all the fullness of the love of God the Father in your hearts as I've experienced it. You ever have something where you're like, oh, man, I just saw the best movie or I just went to the best restaurant. You, what comes out of your mouth next? You need to try this, right? That's what he's saying. Oh, I'm so full in the Father's love you need to try this, and here's how you do it. You, you do his, what he commands. I have told you these things so that you would be filled with my joy. I've told you these things, these commandments, so you would be filled with my joy. Yes, he says, your joy will be overflowing. One of the most joyful Sundays on the church calendar is Resurrection Sunday. We all come in, we're dressed really nice, much brighter clothes, and we all scream out, He is risen indeed! And we sing to the glory of God the Father because He has raised Jesus from the dead. There's a joy here, and we felt it last week. But friends, Resurrection Sunday isn't just one week. Easter Sunday isn't just one week. He's alive. He is risen. And there's a joy in that, there's a hope in that, that should carry us to the every day, every Sunday, and every day. Follow me so that your joy may be complete. Where do you think my smile comes from? The joy of the Lord is our strength. And he's saying, don't you want that? Stay in that. Your joy actually will overflow. It'll impact the people next to you. It's so overwhelming. Here is my commandment, he says, by the way. This is how you're going to remain in my love. This is how you're going to experience it to the fullness. Love one another in the same way that I have loved you. You want to experience the fullness of my love? Here's how you do it. Love one another, the person next to you, in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for someone's friends. Thank you, Jesus. He loves us that much. He did it. And you are my friends. You are my friends. And you do what I command you to do. Don't we want to experience the love of God the Father to the point where it's filling us and overflowing and pouring out to the people next to us? 
That's a gift that Jesus gives us. That's a resurrection relationship. And we get that when we, at the very beginning of that text, you see that we get that when we spend time in the Father's love, there in Jesus. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be in the Father's love? Well, one, we accept that gift of Jesus' grace, that he paid the penalty for our sin, took our shame to the cross, died but was raised so that we too can know God, the creator of all, as intimately as we know our Father. So it begins with a personal relationship with God in Christ. We come to him boldly and confidently and joyfully because of what Jesus has done. It begins there. See, I could step up on the stage right now, and we could have Alicia come up right now. We could start talking about our marriage, which we'll do next week, and some things that God is continuing to teach us that help us learn to navigate this relationship together, and hopefully it'll encourage some of you. But I'll tell you this, if you don't know yet God as your Father, the problem is it just becomes works. It just becomes trying harder. It just becomes, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to say to her? How do I need to say it? It becomes works. But when we know the love of God the Father and that joy that's overflowing, it'll be natural for us to enter into a restoring relationship in our marriage, with my friendships, here in the church, in my vocation, and so on. Because it's not works-based. It's based in His love and His grace. So it begins with having a relationship with God through Christ as our Father. But... It doesn't stop there. A resurrection relationship with Christ, with God in Christ, is communal. See, God never intended for us to just be solo. That's not good. He's trying to do this on his own. That's why we have the gift of this community, friends, fellowship, because we can't do it alone. You experience my love and my joy when you do what I command. What do you do? Love around you. Be in fellowship. Be in company. He's our Father, by the way. And the Scriptures tell us in the New Testament that His love for us is like an adoption, that He's adopted us into His family. And when I look across this room, I see brothers and sisters. Because we're a family together. He's called us. He's adopted us. And He's gathering us together. Like a, like a dad would call his children to dinner or to go into the backyard and play a good dad. This is what God is doing. He's calling us together. And he echoes that. We echo that and we pray every week. We turn our heads and hearts upward and we say, Our Father, because he loves us so dearly like his children. So if we look back at that prayer, that classic Lord's Prayer, we get some cues in terms of What does it mean to live a relationship with God as our Father, as our collective Father? God gathers us together as his family for guidance. Our Father, who dwells in the heavens, holy is your name. Lord, may your kingdom come. And you know the next part, may your will be done here on earth in me and through me and around me, as you've written it already in the heavens. See, I want to know God's will. I want to know God's instruction for my heart. I don't want to walk around feeling lost in my days. 
I want to walk around with purpose and meaning in my life. We get that when we come collectively to God as our Father, saying, Lord, will you help us? Will you teach us your will? Jesus did this all the time. He'd go one-on-one sometimes with God and spend time, and he perfectly executed the will of God. And he instructed us to do the same, to come to him individually, but also corporately seeking his will so that we can do it. God, I need to know, how do I live this out? How do I love my neighbor as myself? How do I do that? And we pray together, our Father, help us. Help us to know your will. Guide us in your will. Lead us. God gathers his children together for grace. I love spirographing, but mine typically look like that. Mine typically look like that because my life typically looks like that. Certainly my head and thoughts often look like that. See, we color out of the lines when the, the pen skips the, 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 the rhythm when we completely mess up. We have to be reminded of his grace. You don't have to be perfect. It's his grace. And I know I have a counselor that I can visit any time in my head, but um, he's not really good. He's pretty discouraging, actually. But I spend a lot of time in his counsel. But what helps me is to be around other brothers and sisters, seeking the Lord together. Our Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation. How many times do we need to hear God loves you and his grace is abundant for you all the time, every day? We need each other to live out that relationship with God as Father so we can be constantly reminded that his grace is new for us daily. We need community for that. God, our Father. God gathers his children for growth. If you use that metaphor that Paul does in the scriptures that we've been adopted into his family. We know that Jesus said we come into the kingdom as children, but the expectation was never that we'd stay as, as thumb-sucking babies, as cute as that would be. The expectation is that we'd grow to maturity, to a stature, to understand his word, to live it out, because here's the thing. There's always new people coming in. There's always new babies being born in, the, in faith. They need someone to guide them. So the expectation in faith was always that we would grow to maturity. I can't do that by myself. I need you, and I think you need me, and we need each other. God, our Father, come before us, and then we pray that. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us out of evil so that we can be more mature. Why? Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and always. We're expected to grow, to mature together, but I can't do that alone. Neither can you. This was never expected to be an individual pursuit. We need each other because we're made for a community. This is what Jesus said, that you want to remain in my love? You want to experience all the joy I have for you to be filled in your heart? Then love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. My friends, this is, again, both a commandment, something we need to respond to, but it's also an invitation and an expectation. You will. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you will love your neighbor. It's also just the work that he does in our hearts. 
Let him begin a new work in you. Maybe you're here this morning, and thank you for being here this morning, but you feel kind of dead in your faith. You feel like you're walking it, not really even walking it, maybe just sitting. Jesus died and was in the grave, and he came out of the grave to demonstrate for us that new life is possible in him. Resurrection is possible in him as we come before our Father. Let me pray. Our Father, who art in the heavens, you are there. Holy, holy, holy Lord is your name. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done here in our hearts and on this earth as we know you've already written our stories in the heavens. Lord, I'm here with brothers and sisters who are here this morning because there's something that called us to come together that said we needed community to worship you, to spend time in your word. And that call in our hearts, God, is something that you placed there when you made us in your image. You made us for community, to love and encourage one another. Thank you, Jesus, that you share that most intimate relationship that you have with God as your Father and not kept it to yourself, but invited us by adoption to experience it fresh. And you said, when you pray, pray to our Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you look at us not as sinners anymore, but as brothers and sisters in faith. I pray, God, that you'd give us eyes to see the work you're doing in us and through us, and that as we depart from this time of prayer and enter into worship, we would look at the company around us and say, you are my brother and you are my sister. Thank you for this family that we call Hinsdale Covenant. Bless us as we seek you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and respond in worship.